Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Well, here we go. We Leaders, episode three. Here we go in three, two, one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of We Leaders with We First Simon Mainwaring. Simon, how are you doing today? Excellent. How are you going? I'm super fantastic. Now that I am with you, my friend, back again for another episode. Thank you. So, Simon, um, today's episode, we are just talking a little bit before the show. We're like, you know, what's, what's really going on in the world right now? You had mentioned a, a few... Uh, crises, uh, activism happening in New York with slashing tires. Um, I want to start off with telling the viewer who we're really speaking to right now. So uh, explain to our the listener out there who's listening to this. They're they're you know it's their their second time on the Wheelers podcast. Uh, help them understand kind of what we want to get across to this specific customer today. Well, first let me start with We Leaders. I mean, the whole idea is around this new expectation on leadership to show up differently. You know, we've got to accelerate and scale our response to the challenges we face. Challenges that are affecting business because, you know, brands, companies can't survive in societies that fail. So we need to think in a collective mindset through the lens of collaborative leadership. And we leaders, this podcast is really a place for us all to come together and say, hey, we leaders who think with a we mindset, what do we need to do next? And that can include solopreneurs who are just starting out their companies and want to kind of come out of the gate the right way. It can be entrepreneurs who've got small and growing teams who are saying, okay, how do we get to the next level? Or it could be massive national or global enterprises that have tens of thousands of employees who are all suffering the same challenges with culture and with employees and with attrition. What do they need to do to attract the people they want, to keep the people they need and to get them to be effective advocates for the company? So how do you get that done? And people just being the number one priority of of a business owner right now, Uh, people being the number one uh, key to success, setting the the right team, putting people into the right seats, uh, a huge priority for business owners. But right now, we're seeing a lot of attrition. Right. I mean, I'm, you know, we're a consultancy, we first, my company. And so we're literally doing this work day in and day out with companies that are facing different challenges. And coming into COVID, it was dealing with COVID. Then it was, you know, responding appropriately to Black Lives Matter, you know, and then there's the war in Ukraine and how do you respond? And then there's Roe versus Wade and the recession and the global supply chain. So if you're a leader and you're exhausted and you just want to sort of like maybe cry quietly to yourself on a Wednesday morning, it's okay. You're not alone. It's been an extraordinarily tough, you know, two years, two years plus. But the thing we're seeing right now is it's not that employees are leaving as part of the great resignation to go somewhere else. And it's not that, you know, they're at work sitting there going, what have you done for me lately, leadership? It's people are just leaving and really not going anywhere else. They're just checking out. They're exhausted. They're over it. They're tired of being tired of COVID. And when we talk to a lot of the senior executives at large companies that everybody knows, they just see a flight of talent. And those people, aren't, they aren't losing them to anywhere else. They're just losing them to that version of life, which begs the question, what do you do to keep people and how do you keep your culture sticky 
when everyone's working remotely and everyone's exhausted. That's the big thing we're seeing now. So let's start with retention then, if we're going to be talking about keeping these employees. Let's first ask the question, why do you think this mass migration of people are exiting their organizations? I think COVID more broadly gave us all this otherwise impossible pause to really step back, look at our lives, look what's important to us, look at how we're we're, we're executing our lives and to reframe it and say, hey, how do I want to show up differently? I want to spend time with the people I care about. I know that life isn't forever. I've got a real sense of the fragility of life. So I want to do something differently. With that in mind, they looked at their work where they spend the vast majority of their time and saying, is that meaningful and aligned with me? Is it fulfilling? Do, that, do I want that to be a part of my life? In many cases, and some jobs you can readily understand it if it's just an hourly wage and it's just a job for a job's sake, people have said no. But even you see it in the C-suite, you see a major flight of talent where people have said, the way I'm living my life, the way my company owns me, how exhausted I am, how estranged from the things that mattered me in my family, I don't want to do that anymore. So that presents not just a problem, but also an opportunity to create a new center of gravity in your company. And it has to be something that's more material than money itself or a job title or prestige. It has to be fulfilling to that person. And that's where the purpose or the role of a company in the world in the context of all these challenges we talk about becomes ever more important because those companies with a purpose, with a mission that actually get everybody aligned around a higher order role in the world, have a reason to attract that talent and have a reason to make their culture sticky, even though people are working remotely. And so to keep the talent you've got, you have to more so than ever be defined and articulate about who you are, what you stand for, and show up when those issues are, arise, which are relevant to your business. That's number one. Secondly, and this is such a big idea, in all the work that we're doing with companies right now, this is one idea that really resonates with, with businesses that are facing challenges. You need to shift the mindset from, I'm an employee, you're my employer, what have you done for me lately? Where's my perks? Are you looking after my whole human being? What's the culture at the company like? To this is a shared responsibility. If you are part of a company, you need to co-create that culture. It's not just the job of leadership. It's not just the job of management. It's not just what have you done for me lately. It's we're in this together. Who the company is and where it goes from here on in is your responsibility as well. What role are you playing? What ideas are you bringing to the table? How can you participate and troubleshoot for maintaining a culture that people want to be a part of? And when you go from being kind of this leadership managerial responsibility and you know employees just get the benefits to a co-creative responsibility, everything shifts. I love the concept of a, a shared responsibility. Um, you know, everyone's going to have a coworker or two or someone that they're technically leading in an organization who's very resistant to tasks or taking initiative or being proactive. I guess I would I would say I would agree with that and say, you know, the only thing that I've found to really feed into that is by giving them more opportunity, more responsibility, feeding not the maybe the ego side of the things, yeah. but really helping them understand the shared purpose and that we expect more and we want them to step up and take this responsibility. So from in terms of a, a we leader standpoint, collaboration, I also have found that to be very effective. I love how you envision that. 
What are some other takeaways that uh, people can listening to this out there can do right now yep. to retain those employees on the edge? So there's three simple steps you can take. The first is, and I'm assuming that you've defined your purpose or mission. The first step is to, for leadership to create a framework for co-creation or collaboration with their employee base, where they say, this is our role in the world. That's why the company exists. These are our products. This is what we're taking to market. And here's the difference we're going to be making to establish that framework, number one. Number two is to create opportunities for the employees to ideate and to come up with ways that they can participate in that. Brainstorming sessions, you know, R&D, um, company-wide town hall meetings, whatever it might be, where you create an opportunity for people to look at that framework and say, how are we going to bring that to life? How are we going to breathe life into that? What way is going to be most meaningful to you? Is it a brown bag lunch once a month where we sit down and have a chat to each other? Or is it going out and volunteering for a nonprofit? Or is it ideating new products and services that'll have a scalable impact? Who knows? But give that opportunity to the employees. And then number three, when they participate, reward them for it. You can't just set a new expectation and not reward and recognize engagement in and around it. And so set the framework, which is this new mindset of a co-creative opportunity here. Create the opportunities where they can actually participate and show up and bring their ideas to the table. And then thirdly, recognize them for doing so. And that very quickly can take on a life of its own. Because whether you know it or not, privately or publicly, every one of your employees that's there is sitting there going, that could be better. Well, that sucks. Well, he's not doing his job. Well, this could. They all have those ideas. And if you create a safe and collaborative environment for that to happen, you'll be shocked at what can show up. And so let's switch gears then to attracting employees. Yeah. So we know we learned a little bit about retaining the employees that you have, but everyone's facing attrition right now. Let's just be honest. Um, I don't know where they're all going. There's an island somewhere like Ibiza, which is full of all the people who've resigned and not taken another job. And it's, there's foam everywhere. There's music playing. It's amazing. Let's actually pause there and kind of just ask that question. Where do yeah. we think people are going? Personally, I think people are, you know, I think one, they're gig economy. They're going back yeah. to Uber. They're doing their, their, their jobs and their consulting work on Upwork. Yeah. They're taking yep. time off to do road trips during the summer and then apparently come back to work. Where do you think they're going? I think both of those are true. And I also think there's a growing number of people and especially younger demographics who in the face of all the news they hear each day about their future are almost stepping off the moving walkway of life and career and work and looking at alternative versions of life. And it might be a, you know, casual job in a different market. I hear lots of people talking about Costa Rica and Puerto Rico and other markets where people are sort of looking for other versions of life. And there's a growing tenor conversation around plan B, where if the future gets sufficiently compromised, all bets are off. This idea of success and a career and a house and God knows what is really not applicable anymore. And I, what, what I feel is happening for some people, and again, it's generalizing, but the timelines that, with which they're thinking about the future are contracting because they're worried about what that future looks like in 2040, 2050, all of these sort of milestones they hear about all the time. And there's a little bit of the sky's falling, let's live life now. And what does that look like? Let's go across Europe. Let's go and live in another country where it's much more affordable to live. Let's move you know, to another state where price house, house, house prices aren't prohibitive. And let's just 
celebrate the simple things. So I think a lot of folks are checking out altogether as well. Yeah, the lifestyle seems to be a, a major uh, emphasis on what is the decision making of where someone's going. Yeah. So, i.e., you know, I love what you're saying about COVID, um, putting in things into perspective. What am right. I really happy about? You know, uh, what is my purpose? Where can I find meaning in my work? Simon, we just ran, you know, a, a job ad the other day. We're looking for a you know, membership sales you know, director and uh, hundreds of applicants are coming in. Not to say all of them are qualified, but there are plenty of people still applying for new positions. Yeah. The number one thing I've taken away from this and doing these interviews are people are coming for the purpose. They're coming to make yeah. an impact in our organization. And we believe also transparently that also they would also come to our organization for a lower salary. From the yeah. cost savings perspective of, of a business owner, what can they do to reframe the purpose of their company to save money and increase their retention? I completely agree. And we're seeing this with the clients that we work for and also our own company where it's not that people come in saying we want to get paid less, but in the question of value, the value proposition of that new position, salary is doesn't win the day alone. There are other considerations. And increasingly, people are sort of they can be dismayed or despondent about the future, but at some point they kind of go, all right, if I have X amount of time in this life, I've been given this gift of life, how do I want to spend it? And there's a growing number of people who say, I want to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem, especially highly trained, successful people are like, especially those who've made good money, maybe through the stocks in their company or whatever. And they're saying, I want to apply my, my skills and my time as meaningfully as possible. And so if you're a company out there and you have defined your purpose and your mission and you bring it to life authentically, both internally and externally. The more articulate you can be about that in your job description, where you really talk about the narrative around the role that the company is playing and how this position is not just designed to fulfill that larger ambition, but to fulfill what that person wants for themselves. Because here's the thing about fulfillment. And I learned this from somebody on the speaking road years ago, and I think it, I hold it to be true to this day. Fulfillment is not an outside in job. It doesn't matter how much money, awards, recognition you get. It always feels like it's never enough. Fulfillment comes when you fill yourself up from the inside out. You literally fulfill yourself by your service to others. And I think a growing number of people are looking for that in their lives because they want that for themselves. They realize it's necessary for our future. And that's recalibrating the question of what it means to get a meaningful job offer from somebody. So whether it's real leaders or we first, people are going, wow, I want to apply these skills in ways that will make me feel better about each day I live and our future because we're part of the solution and not the problem. And if you're a business owner right now not seeing the results, most of the time it's the people in the right seats in order that need to be there in order for you to grow. And that purpose uh, continuing to have a compound effect in the organization mm. as a whole. Um, will you do this at We First? Walk us yeah. through uh, what a customer could expect in terms of your process uh, for how you can uh, make sure that that purpose can manifest throughout the whole organization in terms of recruitment as well. Sure. You know, culture is just one part of the many parts of an organization when you look at the role of business through the lens of course correcting our future. If you're just trying to make money and, I don't know, exploit people or not really care about the damage you're doing out there in the world, I'm not speaking to people who are doing business that way. But if you really want to sort of drive business growth and accelerate your growth by scaling your positive impact, you should look at it this way. 
Firstly, and I, and I call this the sort of, you know, the lead with we um, spiral, this virtuous spiral, where you as an individual have to decide you want to show up in a certain way in the world, where you want to make a contribution for the reasons I just mentioned. Then within a company, you have to self-identify as a leader. It doesn't matter whether you're the CEO or you're just a salesperson. You want to lead in some capacity, which means embracing the company's purpose and really having a look at its mission and how it's going to get done. Then above me and the leader is the company culture. And you need to activate that purpose collaboratively, co-creatively, as I said, inside the organization. Where from the moment you start onboarding people through to kind of while you're at the company and even after you leave the company because there's an alumni component there. And then above that, you take that out into the brand community where you see your customers and consumers as, as collaborators in this impact, in this brand movement. And then you've got the societal level where you see organizations of all types addressing social issues. But let me come back to the culture piece, you know, and what we do in that area. When we work with a company that either a founder's moving on or a CEO's moving on and they, they want to bottle up their DNA, or we work with a company where its culture hasn't really coalesced, they haven't connected the dots between their CSR or ESG or philanthropic efforts and what they're doing with DNI and how they're working with suppliers and they want to bring it all together. Or if we're working with a company that's had a crisis and needs to reimagine who they are and fortify their culture after something went wrong, there's a few components to it. The first is planning. You need to do your discovery and really get an assessment of what the company looks like. And then you need to plan specific to the size of the company, where it is in its journey, what its global footprint is, what competitors are doing, what an effective rollout plan for a purpose inside that company culture would look like. So the first is planning. The second then is training. And we do countless workshops a year, virtual or otherwise, where there may be training about what leadership looks like, what HR and chief people officers need to think about. It might be what does marketing best practices around purpose and so on look like? Or it might be company-wide where a CEO or a founder says, hey, can you just remind everyone what's going on? Because we've been through a terrible period. We lost half our staff due to COVID. Now we're back, but we want to re-up what we're all about. And so there's that training component. And then there's the third component, which is tools. And we do everything from, you know, purpose handbooks through to signage inside companies to onboarding kits through to, you know, establishing traditions and rituals inside the company at all hands meetings or annual volunteers days. And why is that? You know, it's very easy to talk about your purpose and then let that balloon slowly sink to the air, uh, to the ground. You've got to reassure people that that purpose motive is as important as the profit motive by institutionalizing it inside the company. So to your question about, you know, attracting new talent, keeping that talent, and even having them be advocates for your brand, even if after they leave, you've got to make sure that you plan accordingly. You then train everybody so they're on the same page and their expectations and understanding as to what you know, the marketplace rewards is leveled up. And then you provide the tools so that from the moment they start the company to when they leave, they feel like you're walking the talk for real. And I'll give you one quick, quick example. Most people, when they hire someone new, even in this market, will say, hey, Kevin, congratulations. You're coming to work at Real Leaders. And you probably won't hear another thing till day, you might have some forms to sign. And then you send those off. And then day one, you arrive and you're like, hi, I'm here. I know nothing more than I knew six weeks ago. I'm excited about the position, but it's day one. Imagine as an alternative, you had gone amongst six or eight different employees in the company who'd been there for a while or maybe a short time. 
and ask them on their iPhones to do videos about why they work at Real Leaders and what it means to them. And then there is a cascading effect where as soon as that new person signs on, once a week in their inbox, you get a video from each one of those employees talking in very personal terms about why Real Leaders is meaningful to them and how it's added value to their life. By the time you get to jo your job on day one, in addition to filling out the forms, you will understand the type of people you're gonna be working with, what is meaningful to them, why working at Real Leaders is meaningful to them, and the very fact that the employees and their fulfillment and satisfaction is a priority to the leadership at Real Leaders. And you will go in there with a whole different mindset from day one that already speaks to your ambition, which was to find a job that's more fulfilling to you. So all of that is to say that we need to kind of look with fresh eyes at the reality of today's world and what the expectations and hopes of your, you know, your new employees are and revisit everything, whether it's DNI, whether it's onboarding, whether it's you know, company traditions and rituals to make them understand that this role is really meaningful, not just to them, not just to the company, but to our future as well. You know, I had the opportunity, just based on what you said, um, to to be at an event that a nonprofit had had, and they have a very clear mission around reforestation. They attract that type of individual. Sure. And that culture, that purpose, it didn't, like, you know, you talk about it manifest through all the products and the services. Yeah. It, it left an impact on me as an individual wow. dealing with every single person in that organization, super enthused to be there. Wow. Um, and I think that's a little note we can kind of take out of that playbook to say, hey, look, for-profit companies, you know, if you lead with that mission and you can really galvanize your organization. Yeah. So you talk about planning as your number one thing. Business leaders, they're planning right now for 2023. Yep. Overhead is the number one most expensive line item on that balance sheet. If they're not prioritizing that clear message, that clear communication, that clear purpose, yeah. It's going to be a struggle for the, the rest of the year. What are some of the tools that you provide uh, or that you, you would recommend to business leaders um, in order to create that clear communication so that everyone up, middle, lower are all yeah. on the same page? Yeah, and I, I, want to, I want to push in on what, something you said then. Overhead is the number one line item on a P&L, but let's get more specific. Your payroll is the number one line item on p &L. And we all know that it's more expensive to replace an employee than it is to keep one you've got. And so everything we've just talked about is with a view to the your PL, your balance sheet. It's not doing good in the world, woo-woo stuff. You know, we all woke up and grew a conscience. It's, hey, let's keep you in business by keeping your culture and your employee base resilient. Second thing I'd say is this, as we look to 2023, just think back to 2018, 2019, and then what's happened over the last couple of years. Think about how the expectation on business has risen. I want to say it's going to get even higher, and here's why. All of these challenges that we're facing out in the future, loss of biodiversity, climate emergency, all these different things that we hear about in the press and how they manifest in extreme weather and global supply chain issues, they're not sitting there static waiting for us to arrive. They're getting more complicated and they're ballooning all the time. And they're hurtling back towards us in the present. They're defining our life on a daily basis more and more each day. So that expectation on business is going to go through the roof, so, which is all of that is to say that whatever you're planning for now, just know the expectation is going to be even higher next year. So to come back to your question about the tools, just a couple of examples. Most leadership teams, whether you're a starter or whether you're a global enterprise, all presume, because they're busy doing other very important things, that everyone knows why, why you exist and the role you're playing in the world and what your mission and values are and so on. 
But until you formally codify those, you'll never know just how disparate those opinions are because everyone's got it rattling around in their head, especially if you're a younger company with a founder who's sort of is the surrogate who was always evangelizing and doing that work instead of actually formalizing it in some way. So the first tool is you've got to have a purpose handbook or a culture handbook. And we've created dozens of these for different organizations, for mining companies that are leading the sustainability charge through to some of the you know, top brands out there in the footwear and apparel business you know, that are really um, inherently purposeful and so on. And they can be big or small. They can be digital or hard copy. They can be front of house or back of house if you're in the restaurant business. They can be ship side or shore side when we've done it for cruise lines and so on. So, but this is a, a codification of the DNA of the culture so that everyone can sing from the same hymn book. And this is something that can be translated into multiple languages, which we've often found is the need. And it's something that aligns different regions around the world if you're a global enterprise, APAC, EMEA, North America, and so on, to make sure everyone is aligned in and around what is now a distributed workforce, but you've still got a centralized you know, enterprise or brand, enterprise brand. Another tool, something we create for companies is a decision-making filter which is whether you're in payroll or sales or HR, it doesn't matter what it is. Once you've codified your purpose, what is a series of questions you can ask yourself to make sure whatever that decision is peculiar to your functional role or department, that decision is informed by that purpose. Why? So that you are providing guidelines and guardrails for how everyone in the company is showing up. And so that it's never going to be perfect, but the aggregate of all those small incidental daily decisions are all broadly pointed in the same direction. So you unlock the synergies for doing so. You know, you get the compounding effect through everybody's efforts. And that allows you to not only win the trust of employees inside the company who look around and go, yeah, actually, this is what they say they're about. And I see it everywhere in the decisions and so on. Or it allows him, you know, consumers out there in the world to go, well, this is what they said. But from everything I see and the way they're talking and how I see behind the scenes they're behaving, this is true. And then a third tool would be to make sure that you do have some sort of reporting mechanism, whether it's your ESG report or an impact report, something that says not just in meaningful terms, but in defensible, measurable terms, the impact you're having. Why? So that you can close that story loop, which began when you told everyone inside the company what you stand for and your role in the world. And you shared that with employees and it informed your marketing. Make sure you close the loop and say, hey, this is the result that all of our participation, all of our co-creative efforts have generated so that you know that you actually got a result because that only not only keeps the people engaged who have already chosen, chosen to participate, it also inspires more people to come on board. Mm-hmm. So just three of the many tools that, that we provide with companies. I love the concept of the the decision-making filter. One of the questions I have, and I want to be really like real and raw about this question is like, what's actually going on with a few business owners right now? They've just gone through COVID. This is what I'm hearing. Just gone through yeah. COVID uh, and, you know, they're a resilient organization, but now, you know, this recession is looming and yep. they were already, you know, trying to do everything they could to, to pay their employees. They have this really strong mission that has you know culture first and they're trying to play impact twister right now and they're got their hand over here and a hand over here I love that. To impact twister, you know trademark kevin yes there yes you go. exactly tm right there and, and you're trying to balance and you know it's just they're stretching themselves thin sometimes and you know what do you do as a business owner has who wants to maintain that strong culture but also looks at the reality of that 
profit and loss statement and says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about cutting the fat. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a simple answer and it's a case-by-case -case basis. And anyone who diminishes or says it's easy hasn't been in business long enough. It's bloody hard. It keeps us all up late at night. I'm a part of different, you know, speak to CEOs all the time. And I tell you, everyone behind the scenes is losing their SHIT. I mean, they're just like, oh my God, make it stop. This is, we're, we're like, I'm, this is impossible. What I would say is this. Firstly, there's a false separation between purpose and profit out there where people go, well, listen, in tough times, I've got to lean into my profit to stay in business. If you think that's the case, you're not paying attention to anything any of us have said, which is okay, I guess. But also, you're not really attuned to where the marketplace is and where it's going. Increasingly, employees are choosing to work for, investors are choosing to invest in, and consumers are choosing to buy from companies that are doing good for all the reasons we've touched on here. So your purpose is a growth driver. It's a sales driver. And if you are not seeing that connection, it's because you're not going about it appropriately. Now, the question we might often hear when I say that is, okay, so I've got to launch my tea, tea bag or my pair of shoes or my photocopy machine ink refiller. What, how does that all work? Because I just want to tell you what the product does. They're two sides to the same coin. On the appropriate channel at the appropriate time, you talk about your purpose and point to your products as a function of that, as an expression of that social proof. At other times, you lead with the price and benefits and functionalities of that product and then point back to your purpose as informing it. And you calibrate that. And over time, you start to see, okay, this channel and at this time and this sales cycle or this fiscal year or whatever it might be will shape you know, the calibration of those various elements. But you need to keep that mind share with your customer and employee base where they realize they're emotionally connected to your brand because what you're doing is meaningful to them. Because here's the alternative. If you go into a recession and there's another rate rise coming, as I believe, and so on, and you are going to have a very fast and steep race to the bottom, where all you're doing is talking about your products at the lowest price point. The problem with that is there's only so far you can go to stay in business, but also there's no loyalty. Someone will jump ship for a penny more or a penny less in a heartbeat, and there's no brand loyalty. And even if you survive that recession, you won't have the brand reputation and equity in intact in to then you know, really thrive on the other side. So I really encourage those listening to recognize that this is not 1990, 1995, 2000, 2005, 2010. We are living in a constantly challenged and how you frame or contextualize the company, your culture, your marketing, and your products in service of solving for people's lives in the context of this challenge world, that will determine how resilient your company is and how loyal your customers are and how effective every stakeholder is in amplifying your brand at a time when dollars are absolutely precious. Uh, and I want to take that in, in a few of the thoughts that kind of came to my mind that surfaced were you're really thinking long-term versus the near term right now. So you very much distinguished a lot of things that you know, maybe a typical marketing person in your company wouldn't really be thinking about, which I believe you really distinguish consumerism versus marketing. And marketing, from what you've been talking about, mostly has been also internal. 
It's been yeah. internal marketing, the communication, sure. the sure. tools that your team can use, activating that purses, purpose versus a short-term method of marketing. So those business owners looking at their line items in terms of marketing, their ad expenses, everything that goes into getting uh, a touch point to, to make a sale, um, where would you be looking right now uh, going into this recession with interest rates being hiked in terms of your marketing expense to invest? Yeah, I mean, it's a great distinction. And maybe sometimes I go past these things because I'm so close to it, I don't even notice it anymore. But I don't think in terms of marketing, and just by context, I was a marketer and an ad guy and a writer in the ad world for brands like Nike and Motorola for years and understand that word well, that world well. Um, I don't think in terms of marketing, I think in terms of movement making. And movement making is just a fancy way of saying, how do we get all stakeholders from our suppliers to our employees, to our customers, to our partners, to all be pointed in the same direction and promote our brand and promote our products. So we drive sales and if they're positive products, scale our impact. And so as you look forward to your marketing, I would, I would do this. I would approach it this way. I would, number one, make sure that you have your purpose and your mission clearly defined so that you're relevant in the context of this challenge world, society, community. Then secondly, I would communicate to all stakeholders how this is a co-creative effort that we're trying to execute against this role on the strength of the efforts of all stakeholders. And to do that, you need to make sure you communicate to them as being the, the celebrant, not celebrity of your stakeholder community, which means position your brand as a platform on which your employees on which your brands, on which your customers stand to unlock their own agency for change. Because every mother, every father, every young Gen Z, Gen X with disposable income is worried about the future and given half a chance, would like to get what they need to buy using a product or brand that is actually part of the solution. So don't talk about yourself, really talk about how you can celebrate the role they can play by being loyal to your brand, buying your products and, and the impact that that um, can generate. And then, you know, finally, from a marketing point of view, I would challenge each one of us to recognize that we're at an inflection point right now where no one company, no one billionaire, no one industry is going to save us. And certainly, I don't think the political process will save us, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, because we see how inert it is and how you know, conflicted it is. And I don't think nonprofits, NGOs, and foundations will do it on their own. Business is uniquely positioned to do that. But we're only going to accelerate and scale our impact if we do it together in new ways. And what's so exciting now is if you're a company, if you're a founder, if you're a CEO, if you're leading any department inside an organization, you should look at these marketplace challenges and recognize that they are actually opportunities in disguise. And think about how you can R&D your own products or re-engineer what they're made of or take them to market in a new way that speaks more effectively to your purpose and solves for a concern of your customers. And so you look at, don't look at the marketplace as a limitation, as a problem, as an obstacle. Get rid of that. Look at it and say, hey, this is a new brief. And this is what our customers care about. And so we're going to really interrogate how we show up as a company, how we operate as a culture, the type of products we make, and we're going to provide what our customers need in a way that's even more effective for them and communicate that to them in this way. This is a totally different mindset. It's a shift from movement making, from marketing to movement making, from calls to action, buy my products, 
to calls to activism. And this is really a collaborative lead with we, we first mindset that I don't think is, is not only absolutely critical to solve for our future, but for you to actually drive business growth by scaling your impact. And those companies that do it will be on the right side of history and these new market forces will push them forward. And those that don't will slide off the back and they'll wonder what happened too late. And that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about action. Businesses taking action in the world. I mean, for me personally, Simon, it's like, you know, the climate crisis, all the crises we talk about on this show, it's like it, politicians think that's why we need them. And where I say with real leaders in our organization is like, okay, you can talk about all the crises in the world. We're going to act upon these things. We're going to do something about it because we, we can make these decisions. Um, we don't need that weight for NGOs and governments to solve these issues. We can do it now. We can act. We can have a voice and we can mobilize a movement. What does yeah. success look like to you at the end of the day? That's a great question. Um, you know, there's that old adage that, you know, you always want to start the new year with a better set of problems. So hopefully you've addressed some of the core issues. And I might frame that in terms of getting less bad behind you and that a lot of industries and companies are still doing a lot of things that have a negative impact. Start, you know, do less bad, get that out of the way because the bigger opportunity is doing more good, which is innovating and solving for issues at scale, using technologies and learning from nature and, and a fresh mindset and doing things that you've never done before. In terms of your company, <clears throat> what success looks like in our book is when the movement that you're building takes on a life of its own. Where, what does that look like? You're, you're trying to nurture the next generation of leaders inside your company, no matter how big or small you are. And suddenly you see them talking and thinking and interacting in a way that is infused with what you're talking about. Secondly, in terms of your culture, you've got people self-qualifying um, themselves, self-selecting to be culture officers, purpose ambassadors, you know, and they want to be custodians for keeping that alive inside the organization. And it takes on a life of its own. You've got customers out there who not only are more loyal, but your community is growing and your business is growing and you're carving out greater market share because your product and the way it's made is really resonating with people because you've got all the integrity of the product and the price and its functionality and benefits and all that good stuff. But it's made and marketed in a way that is really responsible um, to our future. And then ultimately, I think the higher order societal transcendent level of business in terms of success is we are stepping inching our way back to a much more symbiotic relationship with the natural world where we're working with it rather than against it and learning from nature and working with it so that we can actually provide everything we need and all the innovation that we want for ourselves and our future by what but still respecting the planet that that to me is the really big win but i'm trying to step through all of these different levels because in my mind they're all connected and when, you, when they are all connected, your growth accelerates, your impact compounds. And then when we do that all together, we suddenly realize the future isn't so bleak. We suddenly realize we've got this army of business leaders, large and small, coming to the table to say, hey, we're not going to let the future fail. And we are going to show up differently. And we're going to make a difference. And the time is now. And that's why I'm not pessimistic. I'm damn optimistic. I think we're all crazy as hell. And I think we've got to go like hell. And I think now's the time and you're seeing more and more people kind of you know that the whole fable of sisyphus and pushing the rock up the hill it's a big rock we're pushing right now but there are more hands on the rock every day 
And we've just got to keep going and go shoulder to shoulder with everyone. And I do think we'll get there. And let's talk about it for someone who's never scaled an organization. Yeah. You know, spoiler alert, never done that before, right? Investment dollars. I, I'm hearing from business leaders, right? What I'm hearing is if the mission's strong enough, you can do it. You know, I'm hearing from people who are interviewing for the job. I want to work for a mission-driven organization because when I was working with those clients, they started out of a, of a closet next door, and now they're val valued at a billion dollars because the mission was strong enough. The culture is strong enough. From an investment standpoint, Simon, where have you seen in your experience uh, the mission coming into play in, in, in attracting those impact dollars? Yeah, well, I think the mission and the purpose are fundamental to attracting the talent you need, which is a core component of any startup or new company. But in terms of investing, there's a huge shift going on right now. Um, you know, it's not that everyone woke up and grew a conscience, but rather that, you know, the investor class is looking at it and saying, we're not going to invest money through a pension fund or otherwise in a company that's not set up to succeed in the next 20 or 30 years, given climate and everything else. At the same time, you're seeing a flight of capital towards ESG funds. And there's a bit of a shakeout there because some of it is just optics and, you know, purpose green cause washing. Um, but you're also seeing a lot of capital and interest being directed towards impact investing, which are venture or private equity firms that are really nurturing these companies that are you know, better for you, better for the planet. There's still a tension with a lot of the institutional investors not investing in those sort of you know, companies and those impact funds because it's not as risk averse as maybe what they're used to. But you can imagine for the first time, we have pressure from investors, consumers, employees, suppliers, leaders, politicians, and heads of state, everyone says we are in trouble. And so you have all the stakeholders at the table you need to unleash these new market forces that an innovative company will have a better for you product and take it to market. The consumers will reward that. The investors will allow that company to grow and it'll take on a life of its own. And you do that enough and the market forces shift. And pretty soon, I believe, it'll be self-evident to do business this way because the penalty that you'll have to endure if you are just taking care of your bottom line at the expense of people on planet will just be too heavy. You just won't be able to survive. There's too many alternatives for people out there. And so I see a flight of capital. I see a lot of interest in impact investing. I see these ESG funds blowing up. You see, you know, a lot of um, growing awareness within institutional investing that the world we live in today is very different. And I believe that um, capital, which is at the end of the day, what wins the day, capital will be moving more in that direction and it's going to accelerate over the next couple of decades. Well, I, I think we, we covered a, a whole you know myriad of things today, but really sure. stuck to the mission and the culture of being a catalyst for yeah. internal, external growth to now investment dollars. Let's bring this home, Simon. Let's leave the audience with an action item today. So people wow. that have stuck on, they've listened to this for now 41 minutes going into this. Thank you. They want to take you. action. Thank you. Yes, thank you for being here. Um, what is the action item you'd like to leave them with today? You know, I think the first, the starting point for any company of any size is to do a sober and honest self-audit as to where its culture is at. And, you know, you can do surveys to that end. You can do it in person if you are finally getting people together after, you know, years of COVID now and so on. But you've really got to ask people why they are there. Are they for 
feeling fulfilled? Does the purpose of the organization inform their daily role? If not, why? What would they like to see the company doing as an expression of that purpose? Where do they see opportunities for them to innovate or reimagine what they do on the strength of that given purpose? Why, if they are considering leaving, what are those reasons? And you can do it you know, anonymously and, and so on with these various tools that are out there today. But I don't think you really know how dramatic this need is until you ask the question. And we do this all the time with clients. And what we find is either people are concerned that they're going to get called out for giving their opinion, and you've got to manage that depending on the tool you use. But there's also a pent-up desire for people to express how they're feeling because they are anxious about the future. They don't know what they, you know, if they want to stay in that role or not. They want reassurance as to how the company is showing up in terms of its purpose because they do like people working there and they do have a sense of what you're about. So don't rob yourself of that valuable data or intel. So start with doing an audit as to your culture and get a sense, a, a sense of the temperature inside the organization because that knowledge is so, so powerful and you can start to address it and some people who want to leave are going to leave. But those who are all in and want to take it to the next level will reveal themselves as well. And that is a huge asset to your company. Love it. Simon, where can people find more information about you? You can, well, I've got a podcast called Lead With We, and I'd love you to hear from fantastic business leaders about how they're scaling their impact and their business growth. If you're interested in consulting with WeFirst, just go to wefirstbranding.com. And if you'd like to read my new uh, Wall Street Journal bestselling book, called Lead With We. You can grab it on Amazon. And you know, there's a lot of thinking and a lot of case studies and research in there that, that I think will be really helpful for your business. Well, just want to thank everyone for tuning in today to this episode, the third episode of We Leaders. We're going to be running it back next month with Simon, always talking about how we can co-create a better world. How can we share responsibility outside and inside our organization? Uh, to grow our margins and also solve more problems. So Simon, thank you so much for coming back on today. Uh, looking forward to your presentation tomorrow for the Impact yeah. Collaborative community um, and for everyone out there. Uh, if you could subscribe to the episode, we'd appreciate that. And always, please keep it real. Thanks, Simon. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, everyone. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.